God has been so faithful in just allowing us to continue to gather and meet. Um, I don't know if you've seen much of the, the stuff that's happening in Afghanistan and so many of the Christians there who have been threatened and persecuted because of their faith. Um, you know, just the increased numbers even that we're seeing with coronavirus and just loss and death and grief. It is a blessed reminder to know that victory belongs to Jesus. It is a blessed reminder. Um, and I needed that, you know, I don't know if you saw it. It was kind of going around Facebook yesterday that a um, police officer from Pelham died of um, COVID. And I actually knew him. I actually knew him when I worked at Eastside Baptist Church. Um, his mother-in-law was the, uh, the children's leader. And um, Juan was, you know, I don't say this unless I mean it. Juan was just a good guy. He was just a good man. And so I want to be in prayer for that family, for Audrey, his mother-in-law, but for his um, his wife, Katie, his uh, kids, Abby and Eli, um, please mention them in your prayers. Um, he was just a good, good Christian man. And um, even to his last breath, I heard he was sharing the gospel. And that's how we all want to go out is the way that we lived is through sharing the gospel. Um, also make mention your prayers. Um, Ms. Lampkins, her um, brother-in-law, who had been dealing with Alzheimer's, passed away. Um, and, you know, while that was... Um, just a stress and a strain on them, you know, just having to deal with the loss and the grief there. We just want to be in prayer for them. So we are excited to be um, still in the book of Acts, obviously still working through. And we're going to look at a text today and really hopefully place in perspective where we fall as believers, as Christians in the world, in the culture. And so we're going to look at this text today and hopefully we're going to see a lot of insight, but also just a lot of um, perspective on how we exist in this world, how we cohabitate with the rest of the world and what our place is. So the text um, for today, the title rather is Christians in Culture. Last week it was Christians in Conflict. Well, now it's Christians in Culture. And we're looking at Acts 16 verses 1 through 5. It reads, Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. Father God, we thank you for another opportunity to jump into the word. We thank you for all of the rich blessings that we find in your word. God, these spiritual blessings which strengthen us and encourage us, which empower us not just to live, God, but to live for you, to live according to your will, to devote our lives to sharing the gospel. Lord, I pray today you give us what we need to know how we are to exist in a culture of this world without being absorbed by it. Give us that grace and that balance. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now you may notice here, um, this text is going to get interesting because it starts off by mentioning that 
Paul was delivering, going back through to some of the churches, the message that they had received from that Jerusalem council that we have been talking about for the past few weeks. If you remember, the whole issue of that council was that certain Jews were telling Gentiles that in order to actually come into the faith, that you have to be circumcised. That was the way you legitimized that you were, in fact, a believer. You became ethnically and culturally as Jewish as you possibly could. The chief thing there being that a male would be circumcised. And so Paul is here delivering this message to these churches as these churches have passed. And he's telling them this was the ruling. The Jerusalem council said, no, you don't have to be circumcised in order to be considered in the faith that it is just a matter of faith. It is not a matter of works. It is nothing that you do. And then we come to this really strange encounter where Paul knows that he's taking Timothy with them and they're going to encounter some Jews. And he seemingly reneges on the very thing that had just been delivered to them, which is this. You don't have to be circumcised. He says, knowing that they were getting ready to go amongst certain Jews, that he made Timothy, an adult at this time, be circumcised. So we have to do a diligent job here today in navigating of what is happening here, pointing out the fact that this is not hypocrisy on the part of Paul, but that he's showing us some of the complexities that even we wrestle through today in dealing with and living amongst the culture, the balance between Christians and cultural engagement is literally thousands of years long. And often it happens in two extremes. You have those people who want to almost enter a convent, right? They want to become monks. They don't want to have anything to do with the rest of the world. They think that the best way that they can be connected to God and do the will of God is by sheltering themselves, sequestering themselves all from the rest of the world. I call those people your hermits. Those are your hermits. Those are the believers who think they best serve God apart from other people. But then you have those Christians or people who think that the only place they have in the world is that they're constantly engaging the culture. And those are going to be your hip, left, woke people who are super cool and super relevant. I call these people Kermits. Now, I don't really have a reason why I call them Kermits. It just rhymes with hermits, and I just thought it'd be cool. Plus, Kermit is kind of cool, too. He's culturally relevant. So you have your Hermits, you have your Kermits, the people who think that the only way they can get through this world is by completely detaching themselves from reality, from the reality of culture. But then you have the other people who think that the only relevance they have is by immersing themselves into the culture. And so what we need to do is find out how we can, as believers, navigate and find that balance between the culture of my Christianity, but also being able to adapt and engage a dying world. Just because we are not supposed to be worldly Christians does not mean that we can pull ourselves out of the world. Remember, Paul talks about it in First Corinthians. He said, when I told you not to eat with the sinners, I wasn't talking about the sinners of this world. He said, because then you would have to leave the earth. He said, I was talking about the people who call themselves a believer. 
There is an engagement that we are supposed to have with unbelievers, but in a way that they don't completely dismantle our faith. And so the pervasive question in today's sermon is, how can I, how can I engage the culture as a Christian? How can I engage the culture as a Christian? That's the pervasive question. And maybe there's a better question. How can I engage the culture as a Christian without being absorbed by it? How can I engage the culture as a Christian without being destroyed by the culture? That's what we got to struggle with today. You know, using the text that we're looking at today, it will create, obviously for us, layers of complexity in understanding the balance that is required in the Christian life. We are not too far removed from Paul going to Jerusalem and confirming that there was no need for Gentiles to be circumcised. He even reemphasizes this point in his letters to the Galatian church, saying, no, you do not need to be circumcised in order to be in right faith. Why do you think that you have to be entangled again with the law, the bondage of the law? So he makes that point. So what would cause this seemingly dramatic change here on the part of Paul where he seems to go back and forth on what he thinks the place of circumcision is for believers? Listen, the more we read the Bible, and I really mean the more we read it, the more we understand it, the more we grasp it, the less allegiant we become to our own motives. The more we read the Bible, the less our personal values and views and perspectives should matter. Those should be washed and sanctified in Holy Scripture. The less allegiance I have to be to anything that would define me apart from God, the more I read the Bible. The less my own motives mean to me. When we think about the issue of circumcision, Paul did not say he did not say in all circumstances and in all places that it was wrong to be circumcised. He didn't say that. But rather what he did was that he challenged the zealous Jews who made circumcision their idol. He encountered their culture of idolatry towards external action. Said, no, that is not the way you are connected to Christ. But in this case, he made Timothy be circumcised. Was this a norm? Let's look at Galatians chapter 2. Looking at verse 1. This again is an important text because this is Paul giving his autobiography and he's telling about things that had happened. He says, then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. So we have two different occasions here and we have Paul behaving in two totally different ways. 
And if we look at it blindly without context, it actually looks hypocritical. Timothy is going to be among Jewish brothers and he is circumcised. But Titus, who is among the Jews, is not forced to be circumcised. What's happening here? The conditions around Paul were just different. They were different. We need a little background on Timothy, don't we? Did you notice something that was mentioned about Timothy's lineage? Timothy is the son of a Jewish mother, but a pagan father. His mother was a devout believer. And as we learn from Paul in his letter to Timothy, there is a faithful heritage of believers in the matriarchs in that family. The mother of Timothy is Lois, a Jewish believer, and the grandmother of he of Timothy is Eunice. And so what we see is that they are faithful believers. But this also means that the Jewish comrades where they were going would have known Timothy and they would have been familiar with the fact that because of his pagan unbelieving father, Timothy wasn't circumcised. They would have known that Paul knows that Timothy would have been too intimately connected to these other men to be able to communicate the gospel to them with with this major cultural difference in the way. This was a barrier and Paul knew that it would have been a barrier. Remember, these aren't just Timothy's people. These are Paul's people, too. And he knows them well enough that any ministry that they would have attempted not only would have been stifled, but perhaps would have been impossible if they knew that Timothy wasn't circumcised. How do we know that? Because this is an area of freedom that has been attained for Paul and Timothy because of their relationship with Jesus Christ. This was not an area of freedom that had been attained by the Jews. That's why they were taking the gospel to them in the first place. Now, Paul could have done like many of us do and say, I don't care what they think or what they believe. I don't care what offends them. I'm going right in. And if they can't accept it, then they can't accept it. That's what most of us do today. We don't have the cultural sensitivity that Paul has here to say, you know what? It's not about what makes me comfortable. It's about sharing the gospel. And I realize that this barrier will prevent me from even being able to get to them in the first place. Paul was not willing for anything to be a barrier between him and sharing the gospel. And that should be the mentality of us all. As long as something does not preclude us to sin, it should not be a barrier between us sharing the gospel. I find it a bit ironic that we as Christians expect everybody else to bend over backwards for us, but would not be willing to do the same thing for other people. We want everybody to adjust and adapt to us, but we'll never, for the sake of the gospel, be willing to adapt and adjust for others. Now, for many of this seems like a, a, an extreme example. Like, really, Paul? We've talked about how painful circumcision is for an adult. It's like you're going to make this man be circumcised just so you can go share the gospel. Yeah. 
How can we reconcile this? It's like this. As Christians, we have been called to be separate from the culture, but not invisible to it. We have called to be separate from the culture, but we shouldn't be invisible. There is a healthy knowledge of the world that we need to have that advises us in what is going on, but the culture should not be influencing us. This is one of the most underrated elements of Paul's ministry. He had a pulse on what the world was doing, and he used it as a leverage to refute what the world was doing. You don't believe me, but one of Paul's most famous quotes, one that we have probably gotten up here and said routinely, is actually quoted from a pagan. And he's quoting from that pagan poet to refute what was actually happening in the world during this time. How ironic. Look at Acts 17 and 22. We're going to get there in a few weeks, but look at Acts 17 and 22, because it's actually pretty hilarious. And it's, it's, yes, it's ironic, but it's kind of sad, too, because we don't open up the Bible and read it to know what's happening. Acts 17, 22, it says, So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found this. I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and death. So the God who made the world, everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is served by human's hand as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each of us for here it goes in him. We live and move and have our being. Oh, wait a minute. And then what does he say? As even some of your poets have said. For indeed, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or an image formed by the art and imagination of man. Look what Paul does. We just been quoting that. We just been quoting it now. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Obviously, Paul is using it for a reason. He is using this component of what the culture was saying to refute what the culture was doing. He says, by the way, you said that you are God's offspring, but let me tell you who God is. He says you live and you move and you have your being. But the God that you're describing is not the God that I know. Paul uses his knowledge of the culture as leverage against the culture. 
That's what I mean by we have to be willing to engage the culture in order to share the gospel. You cannot live apart from it. You can live separate of it. But as long as you live in this world, you will have people around you who need the gospel. And you being a hermit is not serving God. You being unwilling to step outside of your house out of fear of what may happen is not you serving God. You leading with all of your destructive beliefs instead of actually sitting down and listening to people is not the way people are drawn to Christ. What was the biggest complaint that the Jews had of Jesus? You keep eating with these sinners. Stop. He kept doing it. And it frustrated them. Because just like these people here, they were very religious. I want you to see another point that he uses the knowledge of the culture to address the culture. In Titus 1, chapter 10, Titus 1 and 10. It says, for there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced. Since they are upsetting those upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. Paul here used his commentary that he knew about in their culture as a means to address their wickedness. We can see clearly here that there is a cultural awareness and broadness to Paul as we see him navigate through all different types of people and all different types of contexts. He knows a diverse people group and he is well read and knows the way of the world around him. It always surprises me that we think as believers that the, we can be more effective by being more apart. But what Paul actually does is that he learns the way of the world of around, around him in order that when he engages the world, he can use their own material as leverage. It is one of those things that we don't realize that Paul was doing, but it is an effective way to address people when you are trying to pull them into Christ. The awareness is directly connected to what we see in our text. Now, it is essential in two effective ways to know the culture around you. It's two ways that it is effective for you to know the culture. It is for reproof which means correction. But then the other reason you know the culture around you should be for sensitivity. It should be for sensitivity. And that's what I mean by Paul understood this balance. This is what it means to have balance. Now, I do find it easy. Perhaps it is low hanging fruit, but I think 
you know, in the context of where we live today, I think it is a right time to say that you have all types of people who feel a certain type of way about like the COVID vaccine, Christians included. There are some who are even refusing it as an issue of their personal freedom. So my question always is, you know, how would this be addressed in the Bible? How would Paul have handled this in the Bible? I'll tell you like this. In a community where people thought that it was a sign that their vaccination was a sign of prosperity or a status symbol of of justification, Paul would have corrected them. If a people lived in a community say, you know what, only the good people are vaccinated. And the only way you can have status is if you're vaccinated. Paul would have said, yeah, let's not let's not do that. That's what he would have said. But if Paul were going to a community to share the gospel that believed that for their protection, you should be vaccinated. You know what Paul would have done? He would have gotten vaccinated. Because nothing is going to be a barrier between him and the gospel. He would have taken their sensitivity and instead of bashing them with his personal beliefs, he would have been sensitive. He would have had perspective. We have to get this as believers. The difference for for Christians is that as we engage the culture, we are not married nor devoted to any cultural system beyond our culture of Christianity. What we know to be true about our faith is what shapes how we respond to the rest of the world. Unfortunately, however, too many times we weave a sticky and complicated web, which causes us to be quite ineffective as believers. Now, we have heard the phrase, though, is not actually found specifically in the Bible that we are to be in the world, but not of the world. But it is something that we should aspire to. But how? How can I live in the midst of a sinful world and not be absorbed by that world? Our foundation must be in the infallible word of God. It has to be. And the purpose of what we do should be that we want to make Jesus Christ known. As I just mentioned, Jesus had this remarkable ability to befriend sinners, but an even more remarkable ability to remain unstained by the way that they lived. Somehow he was able to have more influence on them than they had on him. But how did he do that? He was there to do the will of the father. Listen. Jesus did not have to talk like the world in order to be relevant. He didn't have to look like the world to have status. Our relevance to the world is that we are light in darkness, salt in blandness, life in the midst of death. That is what brings us value and worth to this world, that we are different, that we have been set apart, that we are not clouding them with more darkness, but that when we enter a room, the light starts to shine. That is our value in the world. That we are letting our light so shine before men and women and children that they're seeing the works that we do. They're seeing the sensitivity that we have. 
And they are looking at God and glorifying him. So you may say, as a Christian, am I supposed to stand out or fit in? Because I really don't know. And my answer to you would be yes. Yeah. As a Christian, you should at times stand out and be separate. But there are also times when you need to be able to walk in a room and work the room and navigate the room and not be so awkward that you can't have basic conversation because every conversation you have is not going to start. So, you know, Jesus died for your sins. No, you need to be able to have some cultural sensitivity to work that into every conversation you have. And as believers, we are almost always in competing positions. We see this with Jesus when he charges the disciples. In Matthew 10, 16, he says this, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be as wise as serpents. But then he says, be as innocent as doves. (laughs) Do you see how this presents competing similes here? On one sense, we are disciples. We are innocent sheep into the world. This is important. We are not the ones preying on other people. The world, that's the predators. We are the ones who have been preyed upon. We are not the predators. That's important to know. We have been sent into the world as those who will be preyed upon. But then it also says, but we've been sent into the world like serpents. Wise, knowing the way of the world, being able to navigate the way of the world, not putting ourselves in uh, in dangerous situations for our spirituality. But then it says, but also be harmless. Be innocent like doves. These are competing qualities, aren't they? What Jesus communicates to us is that as Christians, we are not this or that. We are this and that. That's how we are. We are this and that. We are innocent and harmless, but we can navigate through the wickedness of this world. We can go into a room and either completely move around inconspicuously or be a deep source of truth and wisdom and revelation. As Christians, we should never be pigeonholed as this or that. We're this and that. And I think what we do is we create the most trouble for ourselves when we try to be either this type of Christian or that type of Christian. And we get from Scripture that perhaps that isn't the case. One of my favorite passages, last passage we're going to look at, 1 Corinthians 9, 19. This is, again, Paul speaking because I think he spoke so well regarding the issue. Look at what he says here. He says, for for though I am free from all, I've made myself, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. And look what he says. He says to the Jews. I became as a Jew in order to win Jews to those under the law. I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law. So he realizes that he says, but I did that, that I might win those who were under the law. Now, to those who are outside of the law, 
I became as one who was outside the law, but though not being outside the law of God, but on the law of Christ. He says, as he says, that I might win those outside the law to the weak. I became weak that I might win the weak. This is the crowning verse. I have become all things to all people that by all methods, by all means, I might save some. Some. And then he qualifies. He says, why do I do it? I don't do it because it makes me comfortable. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. That I may share with them in his blessings. Paul said to every different various people group I come across, I need to be malleable and flexible enough. I need to be a shapeshifter. I need to be able to go in any room and whatever that people group is, there needs to be some commonality that I have in order that I might share the gospel. And he says, even by doing this, he said, I made myself all things to all men. And you know what the result is? I still only win some. I still only win some. If he says through being flexible and malleable and adaptive and understanding, you're still going to get a small portion. Think about how much fewer people you're going to win if you never bend. If you're never willing to engage, if you're never willing to listen. What's the point of your Christianity? If the only folks you know are Christians. What's the point of me preaching if every week I'm just preaching to Christians? I love preaching to Christians. Don't get me wrong. But I love preaching to unbelievers, too. Because I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God. unto salvation. Not only is the Christian walk about being sensitive to others. But it is about intentionally making ourselves malleable, flexible and adaptive. It is about being able to read the context of where we are and adapting in a way that while it doesn't compromise our faith, it will allow you to reach even more people with the gospel. Your faith is not just about standing your ground on non-essential issues. It isn't about being so separate from the rest of the world that you're not useful. We have been called to engage the culture and this world and speak and know in such a way that it will allow us to walk into almost any room and tell those people about Jesus. No, you won't lose your values. No, you won't compromise, but you can still be effective. So I want to close by asking you a few questions. In what ways can you engage with people you feel like you don't have anything in common with? I mean, you specifically. In what way can you engage with those people that you feel like there is no commonality here? How can you learn to love your neighbor when your neighbor seems to be a little off, a little strange, And a little out there. What are some commonalities that you can find? 
What are you willing to do to see the lost come to faith? What are you willing to do? How are you willing to be in? How are you willing to be sensitive? How are you willing to understand that some of the things that you thought about life is more complex than you thought it was? There are more layers to it than you thought there were. Look, you know, one of the things that I've noticed about anybody that has any type of view Let's take racism as an example. One thing that I've learned about most people who have a pervasive view like racism is that they have never exposed themselves to somebody that they hold that view about. It is easy to be a hate monger. It is easy to dismiss somebody when you haven't had to wrestle with and walk with somebody who is dealing with those same struggles. Whether it's the Christian view towards homosexuality, I've often found that the people who are the most abusive towards it have never had to faithfully walk anybody through that. And that when they go through it, it's almost like God purges that hate out of them. And they walk with even more sensitivity. It's easy to feel a type of way about a drug addict if you've never had one in your family and then have to walk with them and go to the hospital and be worried that in the middle of the night somebody's going to call you. It's easy to shame people when you live in your little box of safety. Shaming people about life choices, shaming people about their beliefs. What are you doing? What are we doing? So my prayer today is that as we close and as we pray. Look, we all have these areas and these places and these beliefs, things that we feel about certain types of groups of people that maybe nobody knows but us and the Lord. How are you allowing God to invade that space? How are you living out what Paul said? How are you being sensitive to those people? How are you broadening your perspective to realize that there is complexity? There is nuance. But the gospel can heal it all. Listen, God is faithful. His word is true. And we will only be as effective as the word that we know and the word that we act on. That's it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you now for the word, God. Lord, we realize that in order to engage the culture, it requires so much more of us. God, it is so much more of us that is required in order to be more like you. God, I do realize that it is the same Jesus who told the woman at the well that she had had a bunch of husbands and that she needed to come to you.
It's the same one who knelt with a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. I realize that it's the same Jesus who was eating with sinners and tax collectors who went into the temple and charged them not to do what they were doing. God, I realize that that is the same Jesus. Lord, that means I realize that there is no one size fit all to how I should approach the world, how I should approach the culture, but that it requires me, God, to have flexibility, to be malleable, to be understanding, to be more loving, to be more sensitive, to be more caring. God, I pray that, that this word will pierce our hearts. God, that we will learn that everything that we thought you required of us, God, is even more. It's even more. And that you will give us what we need through the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit to walk in the truth so that people will see you and be saved. It is in the name of Jesus I pray, and everybody said amen.